1: Hello and welcome. Yep, it's the Switzer Show. I'm Peter Switzer. I'm joined by my colleague Paul Ricard. How hey, are you Paul?
4: Great, thanks, Peter. Good to be here this afternoon.
1: It is great. We, what I know about this show on a Monday is this is the, the first day of the money week. There's going to be a whole plethora of money stories, hip pocket issues, things that are really controversial. And if there's one place that's going to cover it, it's going to be right here on the Switzer Show.
4: Well, it is, Peter. It's a big week of the Royal Commission's... Back in action again. I guess we're going to talk about that in a minute. But look, uh, yeah, big week in finance as, as every week. Monday's a great time to talk about some of the issues and just what the press and the media and the markets are going to be focused on this week.
1: I've controversially gone for the argument that we might see the stock market reach 7,000 this year, Paul. I'd given up on that forlorn hope until a couple of my guests on the Money Talks program on Sky Business Channel actually said to me, Switz, I think your 7,000 is a possibility. You seem a little bit surprised.
4: Well, look, Peter, you're going down in the in the courageous category, I think. Courageous uh, minister, eh? Yeah, I mean, look, seven thousand uh, is huge. a big call. Six thousand, it is a huge call. Mm. Uh, a bit like hard chat, hard, you know, huge. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, look, I think it's a big call, and particularly when the market's about six one hundred or just below yeah. six one hundred at the moment. So that's nine hundred points.
1: Fifteen percent.
4: Yeah, fifteen percent between now and December. I mean, I think the U.S. market's capable of a rally like that. Just whether the Australian market, unfortunately, in the last few years has lagged what's been happening in U- in the Europe and the U.S., mm. and we just don't seem to quite want to pack the same punches. But- okay.
1: Well, so next week let's just go through the reasons for it because this week I want to go to the Royal Commission, and the Royal Commission is really relevant because you pointed out if our index is going to make it, or you implied, the banks have to make a comeback. And when the Royal Commission's over, hopefully the banks will be able to make a comeback.
4: Well, you're exactly spot on, Peter, because the what we call the financials index makes up just on 35% of the Australian massive, isn't S&P, ASX, 200. And the four big banks, that's the Commonwealth, Westpac, ANZ and National Australia Bank, they sort of make up about, they're about 25% of that 35%. Mm. So if you look at our top 10 companies, uh, the four major banks are are in the top seven of those companies. So it's very, very hard for our stock market numerically to advance mm. while the banks are under pressure and going a little bit backwards. And that's yep. what's sort of one of the reasons our market hasn't done so well over the last uh, 12 months or so. It's done all right, mm. but uh, in fact we're at a high compared to where we have been. But yep. we're just not up there with the US.
1: So our show is going to be relevant. First we've got Martin Grunstein, who's one of the country's best customer service experts – I'm going to ask Marty, in fact, I've talked talked to him earlier about the fact that banks need to lift their brand, improve their trust in the eyes of the consumers out there. How do they actually do it? And then we're going to hear a story from a guy called Neil Pearson, who he and his wife went through an emotional torture chamber just trying to get a loan. And it's an unbelievable story. Like, this guy went on pretty long, but it was such a good story, and he's a computer software developer. I didn't think for one moment he could carry a story so well, Paul. He's done a great job. And then we've got Adrian Sheehan from Switzerland Home Loans. I want Adrian to react to what he, he hears Neil saying, but also how banks are treating customers nowadays. Because see, Adrian's on, the, on the, the, like the, uh, the front of our business. When people ring up to try and get a loan, they talk to Adrian.
4: Well, look, it is very hard to come and defend banks, and I don't think I'm going to make the case today <laughs> uh, so i'm really interested to hear what's uh, particularly that feedback from that customer his story it sounds like um, that could be really interesting and uh, i don't know where to go with this peter because on one hand I, I look at financial institutions and banks and you and you know that money lenders have never been popular and never will be never popular, since the
1: merchant of venice uh
4: and will never win a, a contest so yep. i mean in some cases we shouldn't be surprised but then you look at the story that got a bit of press on the weekend hmm. uh, and how people reacted to the story about uh, the Commonwealth Bank and the kids' dolomite accounts. Yep. And, uh, you know, clearly this had occurred four or five years ago, but the fact it broke on the weekend received so much coverage, so much angst, and clearly there was some, uh, you know, staff doing things for the sake of bonuses, hmm. and I suppose the, the worrying thing was that no-one's there were, didn't seem to have any consequences. So somehow these banks have lost sight. I mean, as an ex-banker, yeah. I'm just surprised that no one gets fired anymore. So <laughs> I think true. that's one of the problems. So, yeah. Well, but by the way, and I don't know how it's you hard to, to fire people nowadays as well, It is, saying? And uh, look, it, it is hard to fire people, as we know, but that's maybe where there's, there's some question marks. I don't, banks are never going to be popular. I think anyone who thinks banks mm. can be popular doesn't understand what finance and how yeah. lending works because there are always going to be times when a lender has to act in – His or her interest and foreclose on a loan. And that ain't popular, let me tell you that. But notwithstanding that, I mean, I think there is a little bit of this moral compass has gone a little bit astray. Yeah, the and social pendulum
1: that, has swung too far the other way.
4: Yeah, and maybe that's what the Royal Commission will, can, can help, and maybe mm. the banks need to get back and start to think a bit like human beings again and say, well, if someone does something wrong, they've mm. got to go. That's right. right? Okay. There's got to be consequences.
1: Let's listen to Marty Grunstern, because Marty's a, a very amusing customer service guy, but I think he has some pretty interesting mainstream views <laughs> on what society thinks of banks. So let's just hear from Marty Grunstone. Martin thanks for joining us a pleasure Peter. now for people who've never heard of the great Martin Grunstein what is your background where did you come from and how did you end up becoming a customer service expert uh, I've,
0: uh, my background is sales and marketing I spent life in, uh, in the marketing department of Colgate and I couldn't make a decision to save my life ever in front had to be approved in America and I got into the speaking business in 1985 uh, and uh, I've been uh, a frustrated customer in this country, and try and put a bit of twist and humour into what I do to try and help others not do the things that irritate me.
1: But but Marty, you're also a sports psychologist, and you even worked with the great uh, Dragons team in your time, didn't you?
0: Yeah, yeah. In the olden days, I was teaching uh, mental rehearsal to uh, to sporting teams when it was uh, when it was. You know, hocus pocus back in the eighties. Nowadays, every team's got a sports psychologist. Mm. But uh, in the in the early days, I was called the guy that mucks with our head.
1: <laughs> and you used to muck with our head with Doug Mulray on Triple M with his anti ads and, right. um, and stuff, didn't you? Tell us, <laughs> tell, right. tell us what and the you, relationship was.
0: The
1: the yeah. Tell them the, the relationship. Uh, he, yeah, with he was great. Yeah. Uh, like I
0: say uh, Mulray was as funny off air as on air, and it was a great pleasure. While I was starting the business, had a bit of time in my hands. You know, read a bit of comedy and uh,
1: for his character voices whatever there uh, and in the end uh, look uh, at conferences boredom is the greatest enemy so now I write for myself yeah that's for sure now Marty do, do, to show people how good you are because so I'm, I'm, I'm turning this into a Martin Grunstein showcase but, uh, but I'm doing it because <laughs> I, I'm going to eventually ask you you know, what the banks need to do to improve their customer service and their, their brand, and this is a, a problem that lots of businesses have, just that the banks are, are really under the spotlight like the Royal Commission. Tell me the, the my, my favourite stories of yours about that barber in K- a Kansas country town.
0: Okay. okay. It was a, 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 a small U.S. country town. There was a guy a barber selling haircuts for $25, had the misfortune of the competitor opening directly across the road with a big sign in its window saying $6 haircut. The first guy says, gee, I'm in trouble. If I keep my price at $25, I'm going to lose a lot of my customers for the $6 haircuts and I may not get them back. But if I drop my price to $6, I can drive this guy out of business, but I'll go break myself. I can't take $19 off my margin. I think what most people believe is that you either match the price or lose the sale. But what this guy did that was outstandingly successful that we can learn from was he kept his price at $25 and he put a big sign on his own window
1: that said, we fix $6 haircuts. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> um,
0: and I think that's what a lot of people in business do. They they hopefully uh, prevent $6 haircuts by providing a level of service that uh, isn't stuff up, and that's what causes people to leave companies.
1: Yeah, and, and when I think of the, the lessons I've learned from you, and I, ha- I have MC'd you at conferences over the years, so I've got had the great chance of listening to you. Uh, you. You've often made the point that, where we're in business and we put marketing messages out there, they really have to answer one really important question, which is, why should I buy from you? Please explain what you mean by
0: that. Yeah, there's so much fluff and uh, and whatever going on in the, in the marketplace. At the end of the day, when I'm deciding between one company and another or whatever the decision may be, it comes down to uh, what's in it for me to do business with you that's got nothing to do with price. Because if it... If you don't give me those things, I have to make the decision on price. Uh, For example, I've been doing a bit of work with dentists uh, recently, and what a lot of them don't realise is one of the reasons people come to their practice is because they can park their car or it's convenient to public transport. It's got, in some respects, nothing to do with them being the best dentist in the world, which is what most dentists believe is the reason people come to them. Mm. You know, if I go to my dentist and I get booked for parking because he kept me waiting, well, I'll leave that dentist and the reason I decide to go to another one is, well, give me a place of free access and I'm not going to be caught waiting. Um, your job in business is to give your customers and prospective partners, reasons to justify the relationship with you, and if you don't do that, I will make the decision purely on price.
2: Mm.
1: Now, I will have guessed over the years that some banks and other financial institutions would have asked you to give them some clues on customer service. What is wrong with the financial businesses of Australia such that they've ended up in the Royal Commission?
0: Well, in the context of what's going on, asking uh, asking the banks to look at customer service is sort of like asking a murderer to improve his table manners. Um, fundamentally, uh, I think the banks have lost all credibility in the marketplace. And what keeps people at their bank is that the devil you know, than the devil you don't, to and it's too much difficulty to to transfer over accounts. I've also been very surprised that in this context, organisations like credit unions and non-banking alternatives haven't done better to eat into the bank's uh, market share purely as a result of protest vote against the disgraceful behaviour of the banks in general. Mm. But if the banks are serious about it, I think what they've got to do is stop putting ads on TVs talking about how they are customer-centric and maybe apologise for the disgrace of behaviour they've done in the past and say, we will try and be better in the future... And the way to be better in the future is the simple things like not making me go to you know,
3: India to have
0: me wait 17 hours on a phone line to be able to solve my problem, to employ more people locally to let me have a better customer experience. So I wait on the phone for 20 seconds instead of 20 minutes and they start having some empathy with the, with the marketplace out there who loves them as a shareholder but hates them furiously as a customer.
1: Yeah, and, and in many ways, Martin the money that they've saved historically by being uh, tight with their money in terms of you know making us wait on the line and whatever and all the other practices that have come back to bite them it means that they have to spend so much money on trying to rebuild their brand um, it, it really is false economy. But this is the question I want you to answer how do they build their brand? Like You've given us a number of things that you think they should do but how do they relate that to the customer you know do do they actually actually say you'll no longer wait on the line for for five minutes to get your your problem solved do you have to actually come up 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 front and say these things yeah
0: i think you do and firstly you know, I'm, a, I'm an old cynic, Peter, and I, I wonder whether the bankers really care about their customers in respect to whether they care more about their shareholders. Mm. But if we give them the benefit of the doubt and say they do care about their customers and they would like to improve customer service, yeah, it comes down to that. I think, uh, it might have been 20 years ago, ANZ ran a campaign that said, if you stand in a line for more than five minutes, we'll give you $5 back because we respect your time. And as it turned out, uh, a lot of people don't stand in line for 5 minutes it just seems like a long time and that was a good way to say we won't keep you waiting i think if the banks are serious and it only takes one to do it you know to say uh, we're going to try for a customer service advantage if we let you down in any way you know we'll give you 20 dollars back or we will do this so they have to say that if we stuff up we will take the we will take the penalty rather than you being inconvenience for our inefficiency, and if the bank is prepared to put its money where its mouth is, uh, that could be a difference. Like, for example, and I work in real estate, which is another low-credibility industry, I say to real estate agents, well, what if you say, if I fail to return your phone calls in three hours, uh, I'll give you $200 back off my fees. Go ask my competitor if he'll do that, Uh, and if they won't, why would you believe anything else they say? They are, in fact, run real estate banks almost owe it to the Australian public to start taking the penalty themselves when they stuff up rather than leaving it to the
5: inconvenience of
1: their customers. You know, one last thing, Marty, I've been proposing that uh, they should, you know, the banks should be forced to create like a consumer claims tribunal where any customer that's got a grievance can show up, no lawyers, just a mediator, and the mediator decides whether the bank uh, is in the right or the wrong. Now, I've been told that the government has actually created something like that called AVCAR which uh, we I've heard nothing about until actually I was told by the treasurer he's doing his own marketing. But is that the kind of thing you think that this industry needs is a, a, a place where customers really can have an objective hearing when it comes to mistreatment?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it needs to be independent. I mean, if anything, from the GFC and all the things that have gone on, uh, self-regulation doesn't work in an industry where people are as greedy as financial services. It has to be independent and there has to be people going to jail. You see, if people don't go to jail from this Royal Commission, the whole thing is a farce. You know, Mm. what needs to be done is an independent person who does not have the best interest, who has the power to say to the banks, you stuffed up you are liable, so I don't have to wait five years for it to go to court, which is what the banks take the advantage of, knowing that it's too much trouble to fight for them.
1: Well, Paul, that was Marty Grunstein. Pretty controversial. Can you imagine a banker going to jail as a consequence of the revelations of the Royal
4: Commission? Probably what needs to happen is, as Marty said, Peter, um, look, white-collar crime doesn't seem to get punished enough. Mm. Whether the bankers have done anything criminal, I mean, I think there's a. He, it's a bit of a long bow at the moment for him to say some of this action is criminal, but I guess that's what the public thinks and probably mm. want to see justice done. Mm.
1: Yeah, certainly, I believe life bans that you can never work in the finance industry again should be a minimum for some of these people who have really let their customers down.
4: That's probably, uh, and I, I think, I'm sure there'd be people agreeing with you, Peter. I'm mm. not sure I'm quite in that space because of... There's uh, nice
1: jobs in the hotel industry, Paul, and sweeping
4: streets yeah, and Yeah, I, mean, like I that. think, I'm not sure the public, well, maybe that, that's justice. I, mm. I don't know, Peter. I mean, I think the public sort of looks at bankers uh, and says, look, they're pretty well paid, and, and the financial services industry is well paid. Yeah, yeah. You know, it didn't used to be. Go back 20 years ago, it wasn't that well paid, but it certainly is today. Mm. So lots of people, even even staff doing, you know, fairly administrative tasks are quite well paid in yeah, banks. Banks, yeah. workers overall don't, don't go too bad, despite mm. what the the financial services union wants to make out. But overall, people think bankers are well paid, and they are, so maybe salaries have got to come down. Maybe, as you just say, a few people have got to go to, uh, if not to jail, at least there's got to be some you know, serious, serious penalties. penalties. Yeah, uh, I think some of his other ideas, you know, look, they all sound good. I mean, I don't see an issue about service. I mean, he says, look, he mentioned the... Uh, I think it was one of the Melbourne banks had Mm. the sort of standing in a line. I mean, A, who goes to a branch? Whenever I go to my branch, Mm. they're all over me. So I think service and branches is probably pretty good. Okay, call centres is a bit different. One of the banks has just has Australian people on their call centres. Others Mm. don't. Uh, I'm not sure whether whether his ideas about service are really going to make that much difference, but I guess I suppose if we could ring a bank and and we knew our problem would be fixed straight Mm. away, we'd probably all have a higher appreciation. Mm. Well, uh, one
1: last one, Paul. What if we looked at a financial service provider, say a financial planner, and it was calculated that through very bad uh, practices, it, the, the individual cost the client, say, half a million dollars. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what would be wrong with that financial planner being fined half a million dollars? Make them sell their house. Make make the penalty so serious that no other financial planner would ever dare think about doing it again. I know it's really serious, but would it work?
4: Uh, yes and no. I mean, you could make the same case. You know, you could make the same case about a doctor. What happens if a and doctor a gives you negligent an advice? Mm. And all those avenues are currently open. And so, financial planners generally uh, do have what's called pro- uh, professional N- insurance indemnity N- insurance. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean the, that's what sort of the, the, I think is happening, Peter. I mean, I, I understand sort of the agitation out there for mm. so-called justice, but the, re- the, the the arguably the the, the remedy is already there, and I think where you're coming from in terms of this new complaints authority, making that a lot easier, making allowing small businesses, for example, to access it. Yeah, good point. That's probably, I think, the bit that's missing because it's all been at consumers. Really, consumers and banks, I don't think that's where the problem is. I think Mm. it's often in the business area, and maybe that's that's what will come out in the Royal Commission this week.
1: Okay, well, let's hope so. I think this Royal Commission is going to be around for some time. Uh, We're going to get to an ad break now, and when we come back, we'll hear the story of Neil Pearson, who did go through an emotional torture chamber as i call it coming up after the break and
0: now a word from our sponsors
2: have you got a home loan do you know what you're being charged check your rate and if it's more than 3.89 percent call us at switzer home loans our rate for a variable home loan is 3.89%. That's right, 3.89% is all you'll pay. Interested? Call 1300 664 339 or Google Switzer Home Loans.
1: Welcome back to The Switzer Show. And now we're going to listen to the story of Neil Pierce and his wife who really did go through some very strange things in trying to secure a loan. So, Neil, we are looking into the experience of dealing with lenders and banks and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, your story came across our desk, uh, that you actually had quite a harrowing experience, uh, with a bank in trying to, uh, get a loan to buy a home. Is that true?
3: Oh, look, it was certainly harrowing for us. Uh, I think that you know, to be the devil's advocate, it, it wasn't anything, uh, that the, <laughs> Uh, it wasn't anything particularly unusual that the banks did, but more of the position that we were in and and the world that we live in and, and dealing with those people was quite a shock mm. for us.
1: Okay, so, so to try and position you, so what do you do for a living? So we get an idea of what. Obviously, you don't work in the financial sector because uh, sector, you'd probably be used to what you
3: endured. No, no, that's exactly right. I'm a software developer, right. which uh, from my point of view is, is, is very much a run of the mill. So we're we're used to things working fairly simply and people mm. keeping their word. Going uh, g- going into um, the the banks and and starting to deal with real estate agents and with brokers and and the uh, the management of the bank uh, was uh, wasn't really something that we were ready for.
4: <laughs> All right, uh, I,
1: I've got to say i I'm, I'm kind of ready for you because I've been watching that fantastic television show Silicon Valley. And there's a lot of software developers okay. in that program. So, so tell us, tell us what were the, the main shocks to your human system in, you know, lining up to try and get a loan to make your, your dream of a house come true.
3: Look, I think it was, it, it was, a, it was quite a personal shock. From our point of view, there was a bit of stigma that came with getting a home loan. Uh, people have told us it's a nightmare, it's horrible, it's really stressful, so we were expecting some kind of bureaucratic nightmare. Now the bureaucracy came and the paperwork came, and I think that was actually fine. It wasn't that hard. They ask you questions, you give them answers. But it's the, it's the other side, it's the, the repetition, the waiting, it's the uh the confusing and and conflicting questions that they ask like they'll ask you for a piece of information and then you'll think that that's it okay we're done and then two days later they'll come back and say you know what we actually didn't need that but we do need this other thing that you've already given us so please give us that again but this time uh you know get it in braille (laughs) now as you're probably aware when you buy a house you pay a holding deposit and then you've got a cooling off period and for most people, it's in that cooling off period, which is typically two weeks, uh, where you arrange your finance. Mm. And that can potentially be a long process, and you've got a deadline. If we don't get our finance ready by that deadline, we lose our holding deposit, and that's a few thousand dollars, and that's a little bit scary. Now, it, it was worse for us because we were expecting our first child. Uh, we were very close to the due date, and we wanted to get our living situation sorted out before we had the baby as you can imagine so it was we'd taken 14 months to find this house and it was my view that if we didn't get this house at this stage it was going to be next to impossible to find another one before we had the baby Mm. so just put a pin in that for a second Along comes the bank and says, yep, we're happy to give you a loan. This is what we need from you. Okay, fine, no worries. I'll dig that out of, you know, records from five years ago. I'll call this guy, I'll get all that paperwork together. It's not easy, but it's not stressful. So send that off and that's fine. And then they make you wait. And you call them up the next day and say, how's it going? Uh, don't know yet. Two days later, they'll get back to you. Yeah, we're going to need this other thing or some recommendation from your accountant because we're worried about this particular area. Okay, so you scramble like a madman because you've got four days left to organise all that stuff, you know, jump in a cab, rush across town, pull this paper together, get it through them, hand it off, coughing and wheezing and life-flashing before your eyes. All right, I've got you what I want, Mr. Bank. Now, please, 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 can I have some money? Uh, well, we'll see okay and then it's quiet and they go off and consider things for another couple of days now you've got two days left and you're really starting to get nervous and there's this build-up of anticipation and you start to think it's not going to happen it's not going to happen we're not going to get this house
1: they knew that there was a deadline
3: oh most definitely they do this for a living they they know exactly how long these things take Mm. now in these last couple of days i got so disillusioned so desperate But I actually dug into the correspondence between myself and my broker, and I found an email that he'd forwarded to me from the business manager at the bank, which had the business manager's mobile number on it. Mm. And I got the guy on the phone, knowing that it was totally against the way they work. This was, uh, I I very much reached the point of, fuck it, I'm going to get on my knees and beg. So I got this guy on the phone, and I, I gave him the whole sob story. You know, we're really stressed out. This is our first home. My wife's eight months pregnant. We don't know if we're going to get him. We're really, really worried. Please help us out, right? Uh-huh. And he, uh, and, and he, he, he had this sort of, you know, tepid response. Oh, well, oh, you're really not supposed to call this number. Or, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll see what I can do. All right, <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, now, now that moment right there pretty much encapsulates the experience yeah. for me That it, the, it, it's a very emotional experience But it's business and emotions have no place in business yeah. But it, you can't really avoid it I think at that level of pressure you can't really avoid it And and did you
1: end up getting a, a very good rate Or was it a, a very much an average kind of interest rate Or, or you were so desperate at your house you didn't even care about the rate
3: Um, look, we, we did reach the point where we were so desperate, we didn't care. About 45 minutes before, uh, our deadline, I was, uh, I was sort of planted on the floor in the lobby of my office building thinking, oh, oh, we're screwed, we're screwed, we're screwed. I don't want to lose this house. My options are I can just let this run its course and, and just, you know, watch the, watch the plane crash into the mountain (laughs) or I can gamble our deposit. I can because we have the deposit in cash, so I can go and pay the deposit and then take the risk that the finance won't come through, mm. which is yeah, that that's a colossal stupid thing to do. But desperate people do desperate things. Now the third option that I had was to try and get another loan, which I did. So I was in the city at the time and I had all of my paperwork with me on my laptop in my bag. And I decided, uh, you know, I'm I'm not ready to give up. I want this house. It's a very nice house. Mm. It's got a very good price tag on it. So I ran down to our bank. We ended up getting our finance through a very obscure party that had a very low interest rate. Mm. But for the sake of just locking something in, even at a stupid interest rate, I just wanted something. So I ran down to the bank and sort of, Busted into the lobby all panicked. Guys, 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 I I, I need a home loan. (laughs) Hook me up. I need it in the next half an hour. And they're looking at me like, what are you? Are you serious? (laughs) Yep. I've got 45 minutes. So I need in the next half an hour. I need full approval. I've got everything I need to get it approved. Do you want my business or not? You know, and they're they're like, wow, wow, wow. We we could, we could charge this guy 50%. This is great. You know, so they rushed me upstairs. They brought me coffee. They sat me down with their nicest person. And she started clicking away on her keyboard and asking questions. And because I'd done this before, I knew what to expect. So there was paperwork flying across the desk. Got your posted. Yep, right here. Got this. Got that right here. Okay, got your ID. Bang, 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 bang. Lined up on the desk. Sir, you're approved. (laughs) Oh,
5: no.
3: In half an hour, Uh, the big bank that really wanted my money, was going to charge me a lot of money, had me approved that the other lender couldn't do in two weeks.
1: And, and tell me this, mate. What was the rate, can you recall? Oh,
3: it was something like 4.5% at the yeah, bank. Yeah. But in the same moment that they said I'm approved, just as I was saying, all right, looks good, I got the email on my phone hmm. uh, from my broker saying that your original application's been approved. <laughs> and this is the point where it's worth 15 minutes before the deadline. So, uh, well, but but it was... uh I was almost in a daze. I was in some sort of fugue state by that point. You know, it was all just a—it was all just a blur.
1: Well, I tell you what, Neil, um, you might have been through a blur, and I think you've quite brilliantly. T- Taking us through the anxiety, the fear and loathing and anxiety of being a borrower. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm going to use this down the track to let some uh, banking people hear what it's like to be a normal person dealing with the financial institutions when it comes to something so important as buying a home. Well, that was Neil Pearson, uh, Paul. A fantastic storyteller, isn't he, for a guy who's a software developer?
4: Uh, He is a good storyteller, Peter. I mean, I probably underlined the word story. I thought I was going to be uh, particularly empathetic to Neil um, when you introduced him. But look, I reckon, um, sorry, look, Neil, it's his broker's fault. Harry, this is not a bank-bashing story. This is a (laughs) broker-bashing story. That's what the broker's supposed to do. Get, get the, you get the, the best load, take line. care of all the hassle. Yeah, right? that's true. For, furthermore, who buys a house without getting some sort of finance approved up front? Yeah, that was a big huh? mistake, I thought. Now, look, obviously, look, you've got to be a bit sorry for him because clearly, you know, we know the processes uh, can be a bit tricky and mm. um, and, and he, he makes a good point about some of the stuff there. I mean, he talked about uh, repetition and uh, waiting and not knowing what's going on and yeah. they're all things that drive customers you know, nuts.
1: And sometimes... People go on holidays, don't they, Paul? And someone takes over the file and then they come in and say, oh, well, we better get this clarified.
4: Yeah. I mean, look, so all those are good points. And, and this is, I think, going back to where Martin started, this is the things that really infuriate customers. But I I don't think this is a tale about woes of banking because the big bank, mm. <laughs> the one he went to at the end when you he said, who minutes? wants my business, yeah. actually got it done. So I think if I say there are two lessons here, first of all, if you're thinking about uh, and it's going to get worse. And this is what people probably haven't cottoned on to because one of the impacts of the Royal Commission, uh, and it came out in the first week of here is when they looked at the at the mortgage industry, in fact, the, how banks work with their retail customers, mm. a lot of focus on this so-called responsible lender issue. That is, the bank is only supposed to lend money uh, if it knows with some confidence that you're capable of repaying. In other words, you know, we've got to look at it and say to you, If I'm the bank, Peter, and you're the borrower, I've got to look at you and say, Peter, you're the right person to lend some money to. Mm. It's got to be in your interest as much as my interest for the loan to go through. So So,
1: softies will be replaced with hard-nosed Well, what
4: it means is is that I think it's going to mean, Peter, is the the degree of paperwork and documentation that banks are going to need going forward is even worse. Mm. So they're going to have to investigate everything about you because they won't be able to pass the responsible lending test. So it's actually going to get harder to borrow money. So going back to uh, Neil's story, I mean, the two lessons are, if you're thinking about a loan, uh, want to buy a property, go and see your bank or your broker or whoever it is up front before you actually buy the Get property. Pre-approval Get pre-approval, pre-approval up front. Absolutely. Mm. And secondly, look, the frustration, he should have been yelling and screaming and changing broker because the broker's job is to find him the best loan and take and care the of all that hassle and make the process go away. Mm. So he should have had a... Yeah, all this stuff should have been happening around a vacuum around him. Mm. you know. And if there was to and froing between the bank and the broker, he didn't need to know about it. He just needed to make sure that uh, it was going to happen. And if the broker lost lost confidence in the loan going through, it was the broker's job to find him another borrower. Mm. So if you're going to use a broker, make sure they do it. These brokers are getting paid, you know. they're getting paid a lot of money. Exactly right. They're to look after your interests and take all that hurt and pain away. Mm. I, I must admit,
1: he did say that he was borrowing from a – a remote kind of entity, didn't he? He actually said that. So, and he did actually create the the story, or tell the story that the bank, the big bank, actually delivered, albeit at a higher rate. But I guess if you want to borrow money in forty five minutes, you do tend to pay the higher
4: rate. Oh, absolutely, Peter. And of course, I mean, there's a premium for everything. So there's a premium for urgency. There's a premium for getting a loan documented and funded in two weeks. That's you know less less than it normally takes. So I I think for new borrowers and even for existing borrowers, go and talk to the bank first and get something in place. Um, Always a good idea to know what your finance is. Uh, before you commit on a property. Yes, particularly when it's a big emotional
1: mm. dream that would really devastate you if you miss out, be really well prepared. Let's um, go to an ad break now, Paul, and when we come back, we'll talk to our, our own man at Switzer Home Loans, Adrian Sheen. We'll just see whether he thought about Neil's disposition or position, and also um, what are banks doing now? Are they becoming tougher, as you indicated, when it comes to getting a loan? Okay.
0: And now, a word from our sponsors.
2: Have you got a home loan? Do you know what you're being charged? Check your rate, and if it's more than 3.89%, call us at Switzer Home Loans. Our rate for a variable home loan is 3.89%. That's right, 3.89% is all you'll pay. Interested? Call 1300 664-339 or Google Switzer Home Loans.
0: Too many people spend money they earned to buy things they don't want to impress people that they don't like. So stick with Switzer and get rich. Where are my teeth?
1: Welcome back. Well Paul, uh, let's go to Adrian Sheehan now Uh, and Adrian of course is our front man at Switzer Home Loans. He's been uh, talking to lots of borrowers over his lifetime. Let's just see what he thought of Neil's story. How are you, Adrian?
5: Thank you, Peter.
1: So, what did you think of uh, Neil's story? Paul, Paul kind of thinks that Neil probably should have actually uh, pre arranged his finance before he got himself into an invidious situation. What do you say is an old hand of the industry?
5: Uh, I agree with Paul. Um, Sadly, Neil's situation, uh, I wouldn't say it's a rare one. I hear it every now and then. Um, And it's sort of part of the job of the broker or the bank or the lender or whoever he's dealing with just to manage his expectations on how quickly things happen. But it didn't sound like um, he was sort of delivered very good communication all along the line. But Paul's spot on the money. Get it organised first. I mean, it's just logical. Define what your borrowing parameters are and then you know what you're working with.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, have you come across people in that sort of situation before? And when you have, what advice
5: have you given them? In regard to having tight tight timelines, or yes, in exactly. regard to being right under pressure like that and not understanding the process.
1: Yeah, I think the tight timelines was the yeah. the big issue. And I, I would have thought if he, were, he had pre arranged his finance, and correct me if I'm wrong there would have been less likelihood of the problem that he got?
2: Uh,
5: Certainly there would have been less likelihood. Um, Basically, when I go through this process... I try and arrange an approval for the, for the client subject only to evaluation. So, um, if Peter Switzer comes along, he gets a loan approved for X and that means he can buy a property for Y. So he goes and finds that property. As soon as he signed a contract on that property, he shoots it through to me. The only thing we've got to do basically is get a valuation on that property, make sure it's acceptable to the lender. Um, so we get that valuation normally it takes about two days. Um, then we can seek approval, final approval, we'll just tick off that last little part of the jigsaw puzzle. Um, and that normally takes a couple of days. So if you've got pre-approval, um, usually guarantee, usually we can provide that, um, final formal approval within five working days. So uh, I think Neil was talking about having two weeks that he had to have that done and dusted in. Um, So the five working days would have been a lot more comfortable for him.
4: uh, I also said, in addition to getting the pre-approval, I think that's probably the biggest lesson, he should have fired the broker, right? I mean, aren't brokers Uh, supposed to do all the hard work here, take care, deal with the banks, get all the documentation? I mean...
5: I mean, Yeah, you know, you'd, banks you'd also... and credit can be fun to deal with, though, Paul. It, it, it depends. If he's going for some super special somewhere, too, the poor old credit team may well have been inundated with applications and been slow. So, But you're right, the broker should be communicating all along, look, we're at this stage, we need to get to this stage by then. And that's with the credit provider. And then they should be dealing with Neil as well, saying, hey, look, there's been a hold-up for this or blah, blah, blah. But it's sort of incumbent upon the broker to get everything that's needed first up that's that's the real killer for time if people have to come back and keep providing more and more information because it normally takes a couple of days for that step every time so if you go back three or four times you've lost sort of six days or something like that in the process so that's where the broker should have been on the money so in some respects you're quite right there paul
1: adrian are banks making it harder for people to get loans as a consequence of the Royal Commission.
5: Uh, no, not as a consequence of the Royal Commission. It was already underway. Um, a lot of the, the things that are coming out in the Royal Commission, uh, and uh, this is the, the. It happens in a minority of cases. It's not um, endemic across the whole system. But what's happened is that these issues are being addressed and have been for probably the last two to three years. APRA, ASIC, and the lenders themselves are trying to address this to reduce the risk to both themselves and the borrowers. So a lot of these things are being addressed from a fair while ago, and so it means a bigger compliance pile. It means more cross-checking of pay slips versus tax returns and that sort of thing. So but, but we're, but we're Aide, building a so, bigger sorry, and bigger job cut for you off there, Aide,
4: but we won't also... I mean, the Royal Commission's got to make some recommendations, right? So they've listened to these cases yep. where... You know, allegedly banks haven't been, you know, responsible lenders in, in, you know, quotation marks, which they've got to become. Surely they're going to – someone's going to try to codify this stuff. That's what happens when lawyers get involved. So the public who wanted this Royal Commission, I I reckon there's a real chance here it's going to get very, very hard to get finance. What what do you say to Uh, that? You you don't think we're all Uh, going to get tied up in knots here?
5: Yeah, I think you're right. It will get harder, but I think that process is already uh, underway. Right. I think the compliance, it's an interesting one because there's a competing process here. People want things simplified. They want to be able to apply for a loan online. They want to do, um, a quick turnaround time such as Neil had. Um, but that's in direct conflict to what they want in regard to more protection. Um, so there's, there's a bit of a, um, uh, not a revolution, but there's a change in the industry at the moment where they're trying to balance those two competing objectives so things will become more digitalised but yes, there's going to be more controls on it for sure. Uh,
1: tell me this, Adrian. Um, at the moment, what, what's happening to loans for investors because they were in a sense picked on, weren't they, for a couple of years and I have been reading that the pressure or the, or the, the, the thumb screws are being released off uh, property investors are you seeing that
5: uh, I haven't seen yet they've rele- they've you're right they've taken the pressure off from an APRA point of view um, but I don't. I haven't seen that flow through the lenders yet in regard to rela- relaxation of credit policy and no real changing in pricing, i.e. lower rates or anything like that for investors again. I can see that there will be a gradual implementation of the lower pricing and pr- maybe a little bit of relaxation for investors as um, lenders compete for that business, but not a quantum shift in any way yet, certainly.
1: Okay, mate. Well, thanks for joining us on the program.
5: No, no, my pleasure. Thanks, Paul.
1: Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Ed. Well, that was Adrian Sheen from Swiss Home Loans, and uh, that's the show for the, today, Paul. What is, what is the the takeout message for all our listeners when it comes to home loans?
4: Well, I think there are uh, three things, Peter. First of all, we did talk about pre approval I think that's yeah. a really uh, important step. Secondly, I think also that you know brokers have a role, and you don't have to go through a broker, but and there are some great. Lenders have got great in-house staff. So some of the banks and people like Switzer Home Loans, they've got great people like aid who can help you. But, you know, choose carefully who's going to help you get the finance and work with you. Uh, And then thirdly, um, I think the other step you can do is save yourself a lot of the hard work and get some of the documentation up front. You know, you know that banks are gonna to have to ask for a lot of information. Yeah. Uh, and that's not gonna go away. So, you know, things like getting your pay slips organized, getting your bank statements organized, getting an accurate sort of step of how much you spend, if you're an investor, what the rental expectations are, you might have to get the real estate to value to give you a rental forecast. Do some of the work up front before you even start the loan process. It'll save time longer term. So I think you know, documentation, getting the right person to help you, and if you can, get a pre-approval. They're my three lessons. I think on the customer service side, Peter, I know banks have got to get better. I think brokers, the whole industry's got to get better, and maybe some of the words that uh, Martin had to say uh, earlier are really important, and let's hope that banks start to a, to listen to people like Martin.
1: Yeah, exactly right. So um, I guess the bottom line to me is that, uh, and Marty said this in the beginning of his um, uh, or chat to us, all businesses have to answer the question, why should I buy from you? And I think the fact that the mortgage brokers have grown so rapidly over the last 10 or 15 years was because the banks Weren't good at looking after their mm. customers. We might see a bit of a change uh, as a consequence of this royal commission. Well, that's the show. Thanks for joining us. I'm Peter Switzer, and that was Paul Rickard, of course. I don't know where. Why was I doing that work today? What were you doing this morning when I was doing all those interviews, Paul?
4: Keeping you sane on the go, Peter. So <laughs> thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's the Switzer show. Thanks for
1: joining
3: us.
0: Clinton time. Clinton
2: time. <laughs>